0: My name is Evan. If you don't know me, I've been around this church for quite a while, but in the past year, year and a half, I was given the title as pastor of Rimrock Downtown. I don't know if you guys know this, but we're a two-campus church. We have the main campus, which I've been referring to as Rimrock proper for years, and then we have the Rimrock Downtown Campus. It's right by tallies on St. Joe. Uh, We meet on Saturday nights. The fun thing about this, Ben and I see it both, we are both unified, yet diverse. Unified in our belief of the God of the Bible and his power, in our doctrinal statements, in our vision, but we are diverse. The people that gather there are different than the people that gather here, the setting is different, and so it's just a beautiful way to express who God is um, through the traditional church. All right, let's pray. Let's bring our minds to the one who made us. I hope that's why you're here. Spirit, we believe that you are real and that you are within us, and so we ask you right now to give us the truth that we need. That you would speak directly to our lives, our situations, our deeper beliefs, and you would show us what is real and that you would change our lives for the better. Right now, we just open up our minds and our emotions and give you access to them. Your will be done. Amen. All right, you guys ready to hit the road running or hit the ground running? I don't have any quip or funny story to warm your brains up. We're just going to do it. I want to start by giving you a couple of biblical truths to consider. If you've spent any time at all in a church, you've heard these, things that have most likely become commonplace over time. But as you hear them right now, I encourage you to try to shake off the commonplace and lackluster approach that encase these truths. You were created, handmade for specific purposes in this time and place. Your creator chose to step out of his realm of perfection And into our messy world, in order to die a sacrificial death, so that you could be redeemed from your own self induced brokenness. The maker of everything, the one that causes the sun to rise and put that life giving oxygen into your lungs. He has a desire and ability to directly interact with your heart. That's what the Bible refers to of your mind, your emotions, your willpower. And he wants to interact with those pieces so that you can experience a better life. It's the foundation of the Bible. Think about how much our life would change if we spent time daily considering those truths. You know, the first two, the fact that there is a God who created everything and that we have a Savior who came to redeem us, those are widely accepted in the church. But the third one, the fact that the same God has the ability and desire to interact with your day-to-day life so that you can have a better life, this one is not thought of nearly as often. But according to the Bible and countless testimonies, the Holy Spirit is as much a part of our reality as God and Jesus. In the same way that he made you and hopefully saved you, the creator of the universe whose powers are limitless directly interacts with the deepest parts of who you are so that you can live the life that you really want to live. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four different things that the Spirit wants to and can bring to your life. Peace, joy, love, and hope. These four things, I believe, are foundational to a good life. Today, we're going to look at peace. Now, we all have our own definitions of peace, but I figured let's bring us to a concrete starting point. According to Webster's, three different definitions, a state of tranquility or quiet, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions, harmony in personal relationships. For my study over the past couple weeks, according to the Bible, the Spirit can give you all three of these. You know, I thought I would be a little bit broader in my teaching, but I was narrowed in into number three, that he will lead us into harmony in personal relationships. Now we each have so many relationships. From casual to intimate, 90% of every day of your life is comprised of relationships. Think about it, your family, your coworkers, your friends, people at the gym, fellow students, your neighbors, workers at Qdoba or Safeway, right? people that drive next to you, and the list goes on and on. A strong majority of our life, our days, are interacting with people. Now, I believe God made us to be social, that he hardwired humanity to operate with other people. Because of this, we have the ability to do far more than we could do alone. Think about some of those inspirational or corny metaphors. It takes two flints to start a fire. For the strength of the pack is the wolf but the strength of the wolf is the pack. My favorite, the geese honk from behind to encourage those up front to keep their speed. You guys feeling those inspirational tingles? (laughs) I'm glad it's not just an age thing to shake your head slowly and scoff. Regardless of how you see those metaphors, people and the relationships that we have with them are what allow us to accomplish far more than we could alone relationships are what provide us encouragement and support when things get hard in many ways I believe that the people in our lives give us God's goodness take a moment to consider how the people that you love affect your life your spouse your best friend your kids your parents people here at church they bring so much much of God's goodness into our worlds. But relationships also have the power to ruin lives, don't they? So antonyms are opposites of peace. Strife, enmity, hatred, hostility. In the same ways that people can make our lives so much better, they have the ability to make them so much worse. Think about how you feel when someone cuts you off in traffic or glares at you in the store. When a fellow employee talks poorly about you behind your back, or your boss publicly ridicules you. Or even worse, when your spouse disrespects you, or your kids openly defy you. The deeper the relationships, the deeper the pain that they can cause. Let me give you another metaphor. When you throw a rock into a still pond, the rock creates far more than a single splash. The ripple affects can disrupt the entire pond. The same is true of a single act of hostility. It can cause negative thoughts, emotions, which lead to behaviors to ripple throughout a lot of different people's lives. Have you ever been flipped off on your way home from work? Where does your mind go for the rest of the drive, wanting to be face-to-face with that individual to tell them how they made you feel? When you get home, you're in a more of a tense space, which may cause you to react to your kids or your wife in ways that you should not, then they react in anger, and it goes on and on. An act of random aggression can cause far more damage than we tend to know. But kind of a divine but, but but regardless of what the other person brings to the table, so much of what follows is up to us how we respond. I believe that this is why the Bible so strongly emphasizes how followers of Jesus should treat other people. Let's look at Matthew 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God the author of Hebrews said, pursue peace with everyone. That means if you know that Jesus is the Son of God, that you have openly stated that you believe that without Jesus, you are lost and broken, but with him you are whole, then you are called to bring peace to your world. To pursue and maintain harmony in your relationships. But this is so much easier said than done, isn't it? Whether they're strangers or friends, the most logical thing to do is to be angry, to react and to write them off as not worth your time. We so easily justify this approach because it's what feels right to us in the moment. And it seems like a logical cause and effect. You choose to be rude, therefore you chose to make me angry. I think it's time for an example. Right? It's always fun being a pastor when you're given a topic in which you're supposed to talk about pursuing peace. Right? This pulpit becomes more of a confession booth than anything. So I'm, I'm a part of a soccer league, a non-competitive soccer league that meets on Sundays at the Y to play. Apparently non-competitive means that you're supposed to have fun and not bump up against each other too much. And if a guy and a girl are running towards the ball, you're supposed to, have to be ladies first, kind of all the way around just non-competitive. But to keep competition out of a sport is so difficult. So let me give you an example, and you obviously know where this is leading, but I was moving towards the ball next to uh, the, ble- the bleachers or the bench and another individual came up, happened to lower his shoulder a little bit and slammed me over the bench. My face almost hit a steel grate that's at the end of those bleachers. Man, I saw red. I said things I should not have yelled in the gym of the YMCA. And then I happened to see a plastic water bottle next to it. My hand just reached out and then caused it to explode against the wall. It was a natural reaction, right, to what he did to me. But remember those verses? Blessed are the peacemakers. Pursue peace with everyone. Jesus also says in Matthew five, so when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. I love how black and white this verse makes it. It's above pursuing religious activities You should always seek peace, but how do we do this? How do we genuinely pursue peace with someone when our natural response is to give them what they deserve? Now, I believe the only way we can do this is from the power that comes from the Spirit, the one who directly interacts with your mind and your emotions. Let me lay a little biblical framework so you can understand where this comes from. In Galatians 5, Paul says, live by the spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. He then lists off what comes naturally from the flesh. And in this list are enmity, strife, anger, quarrels, dissension, dropping the F-bomb in the YMCA. Everything that we've been talking about that naturally flows out of us. He then lists the fruits of the spirit, the qualities that make up God himself, love, joy, peace. And there's six more that kind of allow us to have these things, kind, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Remember the third foundational principle that I spoke of at the beginning? If you have been forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice, then you have been filled by God himself. The spirit resides in your mind, your emotions, and your willpower. Therefore, his qualities, the characteristics that make God God, are available to you. That's wild. But the choice is still up to you. Who do you choose to follow? You and your innate desires or your creator? Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. You see how obvious free will is in that statement? Now I'm sure there's endless ways to be guided by the Spirit, but from my experience, they boil down to two different categories stop and seek his guidance and react to his conviction. To stop and seek his guidance means that before you react, you take a deep breath, or two, or ten, and ask the Spirit how you should respond. Now, I've found that this can be a game changer when you're in the middle of a heated moment. A few moments of asking God how he wants you to respond can bring life instead of death to a relationship. Now, I obviously did not do this during my soccer game. This is when the second type of following the Spirit comes into play, obeying his convictions. So this eruption happened early on in the game. At halftime, when we're hanging out drinking water, I felt this thought, this desire that I should go and apologize to the player. So I went to the other side, shook his hand, and we continued to play right? After the game was over, I was sitting at home. This thought just kept coming to my mind that I should apologize to my teammates, which is kind of weird. It's like, they know it's just a game, but oh well, I'll listen to you. And so I sent out a text apologizing to all my teammates about the way that I had reacted. What's interesting, when I woke up in the morning, I still had this very real and heavy weight of like guilt and shame, right? I'm a pastor and I had done these things. What is going on? Right? I had ended up receiving a phone call from the liaison between the players and the league, and he said that the other team had like, filed a complaint against me based on my behavior, and that I might be suspended and all these different things. And the whole time, through my mind, while he's talking to me, I'm just like, this is ridiculous. This is a game. He was aggressive to me. Right? It makes no sense why I should be pinpointed as the criminal. But after I hung up the phone the Spirit brought a thought to my mind. Email the captain of that team apologizing for your behavior. I was like, whoa, no way. I'll never see them again, maybe one other time next season. This is ridiculous, but that conviction, that shame and guilt and just that pull to make things right would not go away. So I ended up sending them an email. We had a nice cordial correspondence. Guess what? No more guilt, no more shame the moment I hit send. Peace entered into my life. When you are in these tense situations, the thoughts that continue to roll through your mind are not always random. The feeling of uneasiness is not always indigestion. Remember, the spirit of the living God directly interacts with your thoughts and your emotions. From my experience, this is so often how he chooses to guide us into life. But when you feel this conviction, remember it is your choice who you turn to, yourself or the almighty maker of everything. When you choose to turn to yourself, right, we saw those negative effects that can occur within your own life and within other people's lives. But when you choose to turn to him, right, the ripple effect occurs as well, not only within you, but in those around you. Your simple act of obedience can bring far more peace than you will ever know. You know, a man named Diedrich Bonhoeffer once said, one act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. You have no idea what following the Spirit can teach another individual about who God is. Now as I start to finish my rant, I wanna give you a tip on how to move this idea of relying on the Spirit and what He wants you to do from theoretical to reality. Now I've found that when I remember how good God has been to me, It's a natural catalyst for me to genuinely love others. So let's start big picture and then we'll slowly zoom in. Like I said before, you are made. You are not a byproduct of evolution. You have been created. You live in a world that continues to provide life regardless of anything you do. You did nothing to cause the sun to rise or for oxygen to fill your lungs and give you life. You have been given an incredibly complex and powerful brain through which you are able to do so much. But all of this is a gift that none of us deserves, but that every human being has been given. Let's zoom in a little bit more. In two and a half weeks, it'll be Christmas the holiday in which we celebrate Jesus being born. Let's take a moment to dust off the nativity scene. Jesus is a part of the Trinity. That means he is God. According to Colossians 1, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Consider that. Every foundational piece of this life is from Jesus. Think about that manger. A being of this power humbled himself, became a baby that would grow into a man who would willingly lay down his life so that the people that he had created and continues to sustain could be redeemed from their own foolish and arrogant choices. Jesus stepped into our arrogant and self-focused world so that we could have the ability to have peace with his Father, God, the creator of everything. Through Jesus' death, an imperfect humanity has the ability to have a harmony in their relationship with their maker. Jesus came to a broke down world to be the ultimate peacemaker. Now this peace affects both cultures and our individual lives. Let's look at cultures first. I was talking to a good friend the other day who flies home to Romania tomorrow. He's been in the Black Hills for four years working up in Keystone. And I've got to watch God fully transform his life. It's been amazing to see. In talking about Romania, a country that has never fully embraced Christianity as a belief system that should affect your day-to-day lives, Instead, it's more like Roman Catholicism. It's called Eastern Orthodox. They have priests and you go there once or twice a year. You pay him so that way he'll bury somebody or marry you. It's a very detached view on who God is. He said because of this belief system, things that are common here are seen as very strange there. He was talking about how uncomfortable he feels about flying home and what his parents are going to think of the way he now acts on a regular basis. He said that people being friendly to strangers or giving a hug to someone that you've just recently met doesn't usually happen. Although every time you see my dad, he'll give you a hug, right? Hugs here are so common. He said, doing acts of kindness is not normal. It's hard for people to accept help. As a nation, we are really shy, most likely because of communism. But here in America, it's different. Now, I know we don't live in a perfect country, and it seems like things are getting worse and worse. But it is not uncommon for people to help those they don't know. Also, think about equality and freedom of choice. They are major parts of our culture. This is because our country was founded on biblical principles. If you want to go deeper with that, come and talk to me. There's a book that blew open my understanding of why we live in the country we live in. Jesus has brought peace to our daily lives that we hardly ever notice. He's also brought peace to us individually. Those of you who have cried out to him for salvation from your foolishness, you have experienced God's goodness in customized and unique ways. When someone who is, is with is in harmony with the God of the Bible, they are given his spirit. Like I mentioned before, this part of God gives us guidance on how to live better lives. When we are in the hardest parts of our lives, he also gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. Philippians 4. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I wish I could just pass a microphone around this room, giving you a chance to share these stories when the God of the Bible directly interacted with your life, both big and small. I hope you understand what I've been laying out before you. We have so much goodness But all of this goodness is fully undeserved and unearned. Even though at our very core we are selfish, we do what we think will be best for us, God is continually being selfless, bringing his wholeness into our broken lives. Now, when you take time to reflect on why you have so many good things in your life, I promise you it'll be a catalyst for you to pursue peace with those around you. If you take the time to remember when God has been so kind, patient, merciful, and loving to you, this will encourage you to turn to him and his plans for you when people are rude, impatient, and selfish, and your natural reaction is boiling within you. Ben mentioned we're in this time of advent, of waiting, from when Jesus came to when he returns. And during this time of waiting, we are called to be his light in the midst of a dark world. Pursuing peace can be a powerful witness to the reality of God and the goodness that he brings. I'm going to finish us in prayer. But I'm going to do this slow. My desire is to give you the time to think about how good God has been to you. I also challenge you to ask the Spirit to put somebody's mind, or somebody's name or face in your mind that you need to reach out to to pursue peace. Right? He is the God who created everything. He wants to bring what is good into your life. Invite Him to make you uncomfortable, to show you somebody that you need to reach out to. God, thank you for today. I say that not in routine, but literally, thank you for today. We have it because of you. Thank you for making our bodies and our brains so capable to do so much. Thank you for giving us relationships that bring your goodness into our lives for putting people that love us so well into our midst. Thank you for allowing us to live in a country that was originally built on you and your principles. Thank you that we have so much freedom because of your guidelines. Thank you for interacting so directly with my life. Thank you for continually chasing me down as I ran from you. Thank you for giving me thoughts and emotions that have slowly changed me into the man that I more want to be. Thank you for not leaving me in the midst of my selfish and broken world, but for giving me your grace. God, I ask that you would bring a name, a person into my mind right now. Somebody to which you want me to reach out to, to humble myself before, Spirit, I ask that you would give me courage, that you would give me boldness to be selfless, to look beyond my own emotions and my own logic so that you can be glorified in the midst of this relationship. God, without you, we have nothing. Lead us into the life that you want us to have. Amen. As you leave here, go and pursue peace. Be a peacemaker in the world in which you live. Bring God's goodness to other people's lives in tangible ways. Make your world better.